Scale Up Nation, one of my favorite things about the Rising Tide Mastermind is a session that we do called a full cup. And a full cup is where we bring a tip or a trick to each other that can really help improve our regular day-to-day. And a few months back, Eric Russo, member of the Mastermind and has been on the podcast several times, he brought to us the Rocket Book. Folks, the Rocket Book is amazing. The Rocket Book allows you to take notes just like you would on any other notebook, but it has a scanning feature that turns what you write into searchable text. It makes your notes able for you to find. This was a game changer for me, and I know it can be a game changer for you. We have an affiliate deal worked out with the Rocketbook folks, so you can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash Rocketbook, and you can receive 15% off your first order of $20 or more. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. My name is Trace Blackmore. I get to host this awesome podcast. And Nation, as you know, we're well over 300 episodes now. I received so many wonderful calls and texts and emails. So did my team congratulating us a few weeks back on crossing over the 300 threshold. And I am just still amazed that uh, this podcast has become what it has become. And not just a few weeks ago, I was in Pittsburgh and I was speaking at the Associations of Water Technologies Conference. And people were just so polite and coming up to me and saying that they were congratulating us on being around 300 episodes. We also had some people there that said, what, there's 300 plus episodes of this out there? I had no idea. And I would say that that thought consumes my team because we are always trying to find the next listener. As you all know, when we increase the Scaling Up Nation, and if this is your first time listening to this show, that is what we call all the wonderful listeners of the Scaling Up H2O podcast. We call them the Scaling Up Nation. We call you the Scaling Up Nation because we are a nation. We understand what each other is going through. We don't have to preface what we're doing when we're talking about particular issues because you just get it. That's your job. And let's face it, there's not too many venues where you can go to and get that. So when you listen to the Scaling Up H2O podcast, you know you have other co-listeners that understand what it means to be in the industrial water treatment industry. And that thought is just so amazing because now you don't feel like you're alone. And we all know driving from account to account, sometimes we get to talk to our customers, sometimes we just talk to our test kits and the equipment that's there, and that can get lonely. That doesn't allow us to challenge ourselves sometimes. So this podcast has filled in that gap, and that was the original intent. How do we keep people being part of a community? How do we create a community in the beginning? And now our question is, how do we allow people to keep being a part of it? 
But in that community, knowing that you are going to be challenged, that you've got other people that are being challenged along with you, and feeling like you are not alone. And at the recent AWT technical training in Pittsburgh, so many people came up to me and they said those very things. And I know a lot of people will come up to me and they feel like they're bothering me or I'm busy. Hey, trust me, I live for those moments. I am in my studio right now in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's just me, some equipment, and a microphone. Well, I guess that's equipment too, but that's all I've got right now. So when you tell me what this show means to you, what you want to hear on this show, any guests that you have, or just what you've done by being a member of the Scaling Up Nation, that makes everything worth it. So I want to thank everybody that came up to me and said something to me. And I know there's a lot of people out there that have something in their head. They just haven't gotten it out yet. So uh, for all of you that are thinking that, thank you for thinking that. And an ask that I have is we still have members out there of the Scaling Up Nation that don't know about the Scaling Up Nation. So I need for you to help me connect with them. Please share this podcast with as many people as you know. And yes, we're in the industrial water treatment space, but I have to tell you, there are so many people that listen to this podcast for the content that are not in the industrial water treatment industry. They maybe serve the industrial water treatment industry or touch it in some way, and they tell me they get so much out of it. So by all means, if you can share the word, that helps us grow stronger as a nation, one member at a time, one listener at a time. And hopefully one day I'll go to AWT and everybody there will say, yes, I've heard of the podcast. But so far, that has not happened. So hopefully you can help me help all of you by getting the word out there. You know, something else that is mentioned to me quite a bit is uh, appreciation for our team here at the Scaling Up H2O podcast and what they've done. They've gone out and they've tried to find all water-related events so we can tell you about them here on the show. And then you can go to our show events page and you can see exactly what is coming up in calendar format. And then it has everything listed out so you can simply click and get to the website so you can register. We even put it in your calendar. So very easy. And of course, my staff did all of that to make it easy for you because we're busy doing water treatment every day. We're busy driving around. So you don't have a lot of time to try to rewind a podcast, figure out where it was that I mentioned a particular thing, so they made it easy for you. Speaking of that, all of the podcasts have a transcript, which means that they are searchable. I hear from so many people that are trying to write papers, or maybe they're trying to learn something more about a particular topic. More and more people are going to the Scaling Up H2O podcast to reference that material so they can get the material quicker and start researching it. In fact, 
we are coming up more and more in Google searches where people are searching for something and the first couple of responses will be from the Scaling Up H2O podcast. I think that is amazing. Again, that is my wonderful team here at Scaling Up H2O, making sure that everything is put together properly and then putting it in a way that you can find it very easily. So let's get back to some of the things that are coming up that you might want to know. And I wanted to say this earlier, and I got off on that tangent. One of the items that people kept mentioning when I saw them at the recent AWT trainings was how convenient it was that they had a one-stop place for all of the water-related events. So here's what's coming up in the future so you can start to plan. So the Odors and Air Pollutants 2023 conference is taking place May 16th through May 19th in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's put on by the Water Environment Federation. And if you are involved with any odor or air pollutants, maybe some wastewater, uh, this is a conference that you need to consider attending. We'll have information on it, but so many vendors there, so many papers on this topic. This is a one-stop place where you can get a lot of information that is going to keep you learning for a very long time. And then the American Water Works Association is having their ACE 2023 conference in Toronto, Canada, June 11th through 14th. So ACE is where the community comes together to learn, connect, and inspire to solve global water challenges. So we'll have all of that information to learn more about ACE 2023 on our show events page. And then finally, StormCon 2023 is taking place August 28th through 30th in Dallas, Texas. So this is where the stormwater industry comes together and it brings together stormwater managers, erosion control specialists, engineers. And at StormCon, this is where you get a lot of vendors, a lot of people exhibiting different papers, different people that are on the same mindset around stormwater. So if that's something that you do, you definitely want to check that out on our events page. Well, Nation, as you know, this show takes a village, and our good friend James McDonald is one of our village people. You'll have to guess which one he is. Maybe he's the cowboy. I don't know. Have that visual in your head for a while. Anyway, James McDonald is always trying to get us to learn a little bit more. So here is a brand new installment of Periodic Water Table with James. Hello and welcome to the Periodic Water Table with James, where we think and learn about water chemistry drop by drop. Please use your week to search online, ask your colleagues, or even pick up a book to learn more about each week's Periodic Water Table topic. If you do, at the end of the year, you'll be 52 water chemistry smarter. So let's raise the water table of knowledge together and get started. Today's topic is... Fluorescein. Let's start off with why is fluorescein used? Why is fluorescein typically used in boilers, but PTSA used in cooling systems? What would be the impact if they were switched? 
At what concentrations is fluorescein used? What is the chemical formula? How does one test for fluorescein? Can any colorimeter or fluorometer be used, or does it take a special one? What wavelength of light is being measured? What can interfere with this test? Can it be measured online? How would the level of fluorescein be controlled with an online feed and monitoring system? Remember, knowledge is power, and taking the time to learn more about water chemistry each week will help make you a force to be reckoned with. Be sure to post what you learn to social media and tag it with hashtag watertable23 and hashtag scalinguph2o. I look forward to learning more from you. James, as always, thank you for putting those together. Thank you for challenging us to know just a little bit more about the chemistries that we have in our industry. So Nation, if you have not been keeping up with James's weekly periodic water table challenges, you can go to scalinguph2o.com and see the ones that you do need to catch up on so you can stay up to date. And at the end of the year, you are going to be 52 subjects smarter about the chemistries that allow us to do what it is that we do. Speaking of what it is that we do, one of my favorite things to do on this podcast is to interview people that are in this industry that are part of the Scaling Up Nation. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, here is our interview. My lab partner today is Darius Barkowskis from HOH. Darius, so good to have you on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Thanks for having me, Trace. It's, uh, it's an honor and a pleasure. Darius, you and I have been working together for a couple of years, and I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you better. And uh, it's hard for me to believe that you have not been on the podcast before. So I am glad we are finally getting that fixed. Absolutely. It's an avid listener and looking forward to contributing and uh, sharing some knowledge. Well, I'm sure we are going to have no issue contributing knowledge with uh, you on the program. So we will get started with that. But I want to make sure that the Scaling Up Nation knows who they are listening to. Do you mind telling us a little bit about Darius? Certainly. I have a wife and two kids. Uh, my kids are nine and seven. And I have the privilege of working for the only company I've ever worked for. So I've been working for HOH for just celebrating my 20th year. So graduated from uh, Purdue with a chem E degree. So I've been here ever since. I, I'm one of those people that fell into water treatment, not necessarily born into it. So it's been a pleasure. I've had a variety of different roles over the years from a research chemist to a water treatment professional role. And now I'm a director of technical services for HOH. And so I, I manage a group of managers. And so I get all the egos and all people problems. But I still occasionally love solving a water treatment problem out there. So it's still a passion of mine. Yeah, you mentioned the two ways that everybody describes getting into the water treatment business. You're either born into it or you fall into it. Nobody ever says that, oh, I discovered it. It's always I fell into it. Why do you think that is? I don't know. Maybe they were just hiring that day. I you know, it could be. <laughs> so. It's like you're walking down the street and you didn't see a hole and you fall into the hole. That's that's how you find water treatment, I guess. Exactly. What we found over the years, though, is 
hiring people have been involved in a lot of the hiring is really looking for the right people. So it, we run EOS at HOH, and so there's this concept of right person, right seat. So you have to be a right person to be on the bus, so to speak, and then you can teach anybody the seat, but uh, you got to be the right person. So that's what we've shifted to look for instead of just looking for pure water treaters. That's a great way to hire. A friend of mine always says you hire the athlete and you teach them the game. And that's exactly what you just described there. Of course, having core values and hiring to those core values, that's what EOS teaches us. We subscribe to that as well. And we've done a couple shows on EOS. So that's a great way to find if somebody is going to fit your culture. But I'm curious, is there a particular degree or job, a previous job, that best suits our industry? Traditionally, probably 10 years ago, we would primarily hire chemical engineers, and we've been pretty successful at that. But now I think it's shifted a little bit towards people that like to take care of customers. And so we've had varying degrees of success with like hiring people right out of college. We've had people that, but our our best success has been finding people that have been working for another company, not necessarily in the industry, but one to three years and just identifying like, do they have the right skill set, the right makeup? But as far as the degree goes, any, any science related degree is always a plus. So it's really hard to take like a, it's probably harder for like an art history major. I'm not demeaning that that major, but having a little bit of the knowledge of the science allows you to get back onboarded quicker, get the knowledge base. So not saying you couldn't, but it probably just takes longer. Sure. It's just a question I'm cu- always curious about. I've always thought that material science does really well. As you mentioned, chemical uh, engineering majors, environmental science majors seem to do pretty well. But I do think you are definitely on to something because I think when somebody not just has a degree, but then they have experience outside of the water treatment industry or maybe even just your company, they can really appreciate what your company has to offer. And let's face it, we have some liberties that we can take as industrial water treaters to make things fit how we work. And I don't think every industry is like that. And if you just come into that, I don't know if that's a value or not. I don't know if you realize that that's different from other places of work. How do you know what you like? Right. Well, always curious. And then, of course, we're going through the hiring crisis where there's just not that many people that are looking for employment. So you add that to the mix and everybody's looking on top of that. And we have the current climate that we're in. Yeah, and I would say I'm, I'm not a dinosaur, but maybe part of the, the tail end of a, a breed of employee that finds a company and sticks through it. I think the younger generation is looking to move up faster. And so that we're seeing a trend of like, you know, not necessarily like somebody leaves after like four or five years, but they need a new challenge once they hit that mark. Otherwise, they will go seek other challenges. So that's a bit of a shift from since I've started working. So people are looking for greater challenges sooner than maybe I, I received. College courses are actually teaching people that in order to advance their career, they need to change who they work for multiple times. That's actually in curriculum. It's disappointing. 
It is disappointing. Doesn't breed loyalty. Doesn't breed loyalty. You know, and I think of, you know, of course, the company my father worked for, he was working for a water treatment company. They were extremely good to him. My company, we try to be really good to our people. And when you think that's the curriculum that's getting taught, I don't know how to unteach that. And you'd like to show people, well, you know, with all the things that you have here, you know, hopefully you see that we're trying to take care of you. We want you here long term. But when that's ingrained in somebody, I don't know how to overcome that. Yeah, and I've heard stories of friends that have worked in the software industry and uh, Silicon Valley type technology fields. They are taught that. Like if you're at a job for more than two years, you're doing something wrong. And that's starting to percolate throughout all industries and companies. But for water treatment, it's not necessarily a trade, but it's a learned skill. And it takes time and you need a lot of reps, just like if you're weightlifting in the gym to really get good at it. And so how do you structure somebody's onboarding wherein like it takes somebody two to four years to get really good at it and then they're gone. And then we've invested all that time and money and, and we're back at square one. So we got to shift how we, how we onboard people. I always like the J curve analysis or the uh, analogy and nation, if you're trying to think of a J. So if we have a graph on the X axis would be time and on the y-axis would be work. And right when you hire somebody, work is what it is. So that's the start of the J. And then as time goes on and you've hired somebody, the J starts taking that downward slope. And then you get to a point where it starts going back up, but you're still not where you started at when you originally hired that person. So time keeps going on. And then eventually you get back up to where work started, and then it exponentially gets higher. That's what Darius is referring to, but I think that's also what the person is experiencing. Of course, we talked from the employer standpoint, but the person's experiencing that too. And once they hit that upper spike of the J-curve, they feel more confident. They can go out and they can get more business and they can train other people and they truly understand and can appreciate this business not everybody gives time for that J curve to exponentially shoot up. On both sides, I would say. Right. Anyway, so that's, uh, I guess, just a conversation. And if you're listening and you're thinking, well, maybe I'm somewhere on the bottom part of that J curve, I would encourage you to you know, stick it out. Make sure you're learning, you're asking questions. I tell you every podcast, I'm sure if I asked Darius, he would also tell you this is the best career ever. This is the best industry ever. You just have to stick it out long enough to be able to realize that and do all the things that uh, need to happen in order for that J-curve to take off like it will. Just give it time to do that. Great analogy. Well, with all of that, you and I got to see each other briefly last week. And of course, this show is recorded before it airs, but I'm talking about the Association of Water Technologies technical training. We were in San Diego last week. And of course, we all go to sunny San Diego. And what was it, 50 degrees and raining every day? Yeah, just we can't catch a break. I, I specifically chose San Diego for that <laughs> opportunity to experience some Southern California sun and only briefly experienced it. Well, we got the LED indoor lighting all week, and I guess that was the only sun that, that we received. 
I had the honor of teaching several classes there. I did the sales class. I did the math class. I did some of the fundamental and applications classes. And you attended the ASSE 12,080 course. Can you tell our nation a little bit about that? Well, I can tell you about both. I actually did the water treatment training. but Oh, uh, I apologize. I apologize. No, no, it's okay. I think this is my fifth fifth or sixth technical training. So I I keep coming back. So it's not just a one and done for me. And I, Well, hold on. Before you continue, let's yeah. talk about that because there's so many people that think, okay, I've been there. I've done that. I've got the t-shirt. I'm going to move on and do something else. You've been several times. I've been several times. Why is that? There's just a breath of information that you can you, you think of your brain as a sponge. You can only soak up so much in a window of time. And so some of it gets missed and you can only bring so much back with you. And then when you get back to work, you're back in the whirlwind. You kind of forget about what happened, what you learned. And so you only pick up like little nuggets. And I'm still learning. I think only a few years ago, I learned about, uh, I knew about tonnage, but no one ever taught me what a ton of cooling and where that derived was, how that was derived. So the amount of energy to melt one ton of ice in 24 hours. Like no one ever taught me that. And that was eye-opening for me. By any chance, was I the one that taught you that? I think you did. Yes. (laughs) So, um, and I guess you learned that in the math class? Yeah, correct. I have a hard time with math if I don't understand everything that's in that equation. And for years and years and years and years, it was just run the equation. The constants are the constants. You don't need to know what they are. Just know that they work and run them. And I just, I I couldn't get my brain to connect. So when I was asked to start teaching that course, I decided that's how I'm going to do this. If I can't totally understand it, how am I going to teach it to somebody? So it took me forever ever to track down all of those constants. But that was one that I had to figure out. Why tonnage times three? Well, because I said so. Okay, dad, that's great. But why Why is that? How does that work? And in my research, I found out that it's how much a ton of ice takes to, to melt as far as BTUs and what a chiller ton is into a tower ton, and then what a tower recirculation rate is. On the average, it removes 10 degrees across the tower, and you add all those and multiply all that stuff together, and that's how it works. I just couldn't explain that until I understood that. What was it that uh, you referred to in the training, the rules of thumb, right? Yes, you know, yes. Everything's a rule of thumb. Like Basically, the person doesn't know how to explain it, you know? Yeah, but say, y'all worry about it. It's a rule of thumb. That's right. My, that was what my dad used to always say. Somebody probably told him that. You know? <laughs> probably. I remember there was a really older gentleman that used to work with my dad. And I'm not sure if that's who taught him the most in water treatment, but he had this, he always had a cigar. It was hardly ever lit. And uh, he just looked smart. Except for the cigar. They don't smoke. That's probably not a good thing. But but he always had this unlit cigar, and he always looked unhappy. So I guess that's when you know everything, you're kind of unhappy, and you don't tell people where things come from, and that's where my dad learned it from. I don't know. Interesting. <laughs> well, in some places, they call that job security. If they tell them they're smarter than me, and they won't have any use for me then, right? You know, that is a common mentality, I think. And of course, you're a member of the Rising Tide Mastermind, and one of our, our tagline is a rising tide raises all boats. And 
if I keep something from you, that means you don't get to know it. And if I share something with you, now you might know something more that you can add back to me. So I hope that that old way of thinking is an old way of thinking. And we're all, I'm still old, but we're now in this new generation, you know, separate from my father's generation. And hopefully we are sharing more. We're not scared that if you learn something, it's going to take something away from me. No, it's going to add to our community and we're going to add more to our knowledge base if we do that. Yeah, I certainly have learned that uh, being a part of the Rising Tide and just being more open with what we're sharing. It, it's freer and it, everyone gets better. So like, I think you and I share the same personal mission, just like we want to make everyone better than they were yesterday. So, you know, you don't have to work at HOH for the rest of your career, but I want your time here to be the best job you've ever had. So, you know, things change, but uh, we want to make sure we're, we're the best, the best time that somebody had. Yeah, I love that because let's face it, I mean, people are gonna gonna come and leave our corporations, and when they do that, we want them to think, "Wow, that was the best job I ever had." Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that mindset, and I think it's a lot healthier to have that mindset too. So many people, uh, we keep getting on back on this hiring topic, but with so many people, when people leave, it's almost like, "Oh, that person's dead to me." And that, that's an unhealthy way to think. I'm sure people are hurt and they miss each other and all of that. And that's how those emotions play out. But it's also a very scarcity mentality way of playing those emotions out. Exactly. Recently, I've been doing some coaching. And uh, when people are complaining, it's they're not actually complaining. They're just not able to articulate what the vision they want and want to be. And so the complaint is derived from just not being able to share with what the vision of what it should be. And so it's not actually the complaint. They're just not seeing the vision come to fruition. So Darius, if somebody was talking with you and let's say they were complaining about something, is there a technique to get them to shift to try to create that vision? Now I've been asking more questions. Of Usually I would just kind of, I've got a high red temperament for those that have taken the temperament. I would go right to my gap, red weaknesses, and just start feeding it. And it would just kind of get into a toxic kind of just raising tone and volume, and we never get anywhere. But now the skill is just asking more questions. And when you're faced with a complaint, ask the question of, what do you want it to look like? Or what, what is your vision for here? We're obviously disconnected here. What, what's your vision for how this should go? And have them sort of give that to you versus trying to figure that out and kind of uh, do a trial and error, like, well, we should do this. And then that doesn't quite line up. And then they start complaining even more, you know. So you have to get it out of the other person uh, by asking calibrated questions. Just whatever they say, I try to get in a rhythm of taking the last one or three words that somebody says and rephrase it in a question. And that just keeps that person talking. And you get further and further along to what the real issue is what the real issue is. Yeah. I just did it on him, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> exactly. There you go. So that's actually from a book that you recommended to me about two years ago. We're, re- we're getting ready to read the book in the mastermind class, and it's escaping me the name. Uh, Chris Voss is the author. Uh, Never Split the Difference. Never Split the Difference, yes. And he was an FBI negotiator. And it is amazing and I think it's very important that uh, people understand what we're talking about here. This is not how to manipulate people. 
This is how to get people to open up and be able to express the why behind what they're complaining about or what they're emotional about. And when they feel that they are connected, then they're able to do that. And one of the techniques he gave was repeating the last three words into a question. And it's amazing how well that works. And it's also amazing how difficult it is when you're trying to be a faithful translator and you're trying to empathically listen to somebody and you're saying, how do I rephrase their words in a way that's acceptable to them? And sometimes you get caught up in that and just repeating the last three things that they say almost always puts them at ease. It slows their brain down and it slows your brain down so that you can actually process it correctly. Yeah, thank you again for that book recommendation. I think that Absolutely. was uh, that was one of the better communication books as far as what to do that I think I've ever read. And then you also turned me on to his masterclass and that was exceptional as well. And I cannot wait. I think we are reading that book in the third quarter this year in the Rising Tide Mastermind. I can't wait to do all of that with our group. Absolutely. I read it with my management team that I manage, and it was kind of eye-opening for them, too. And I actually used some of the tactics. Uh, one of the tactics was they were having trouble getting a customer to buy like a controller. And they've tried all different types of communications, meetings. And finally, he, based on what uh, Chris Voss was teaching, he's like, write this email saying, like, are you giving up on this opportunity? And the way it was phrased, there was no other way for the guy to answer other than no. And so the, the customer replied no, and then we got the PO like in two days. And we tried everything else to get this purchase order. And it, you just had to call attention like, are you giving up on me? And the guy had to say no. Yeah, I remember him talking about that in the book. And there's just something when you're, they don't have the option anymore. Uh, they are like, oh my gosh, I, I can't let that get away. I, I need yeah. to, I need to do that. And I think that is so scary for so many of us. Oh my gosh, what if they do say no? Yeah. But I guess the reality is they've already said no without saying no because you didn't have a purchase order. Yeah, exactly. It's a what he calls a counterfeit no. You know? <laughs> eh, not really. Maybe you know. Did we ever finish talking about AWT training? I know we kind of jumped. I know we kind of segued a little. Yeah. Bit, but yeah. Yeah. So jumping back into that. So I attended the water treatment training again for the second time, and I still picked up more information. The math started to make more sense to me. And then also we had several members uh, in the ASSE, what is it, 12080 course. And I had taken that class online during the uh, COVID pandemic, but it's been a great class and been able to kind of diffuse a lot of the angst around water safety. And like it or not, like water safety is going to be a part of any water treater's experience. So you can't quite ignore it anymore. And certainly really a uh, front of mine in New York, but uh, we're starting to see pieces of legislation come through in other states. I just happened to come across one in Illinois that they're considering getting more teeth behind it. But the class itself kind of really helps educate somebody on developing a plan, not necessarily getting zero Legionella. That was the big light bulb for me. It was... Uh, it used to be like, hey, we're, we want zero Legionella, right? None. We don't want to find any. And we even, you know, would dose cooling towers ahead of time, right, to make sure we get zero, right? We've all done that. 
But the shift for me was not necessarily zero Legionella isolator, but zero cases of disease. And so that was the big shift for me. Like, let's strive for zero cases of people getting sick versus trying to just get to zero or you can't say zero anymore, but uh, no Legionella isolated. So Darius, with that, that was the big shift for you. And that is the big shift for everybody. So you got there because you decided you were going to learn as much as you could about the topic. Our customers haven't gotten there yet. How do we get them to shift their thinking that it's not about zero Legionella in their systems, it's about zero cases? What should that conversation sound like? It's a bit of a grind, to be honest, Trace. I mean, it's uh, conversation after conversation. The customers we find the most success in the space is you find the customer that wants to be proactive and actually take care of it and be up to speed with regulations. But then you got a group of customers that are just like, well, when they make me do it, I'll do it type of mentality. And so you got to kind of sift through that quagmire of finding those customers that really want to do it or can see the benefits from it. And then those others, we're just going to have to come back to. So, but shifting the conversation of customers is just a, it's a one-on-one with the rep and the customer that, hey, we're striving for zero cases of people getting sick and ill versus just trying to eliminate all traces of it because it's virtually impossible to do that. We don't live in sterile environments. I shared with Janet, I think on the first episode that she came on, which is really one of the early ones. I think we were in the single digits or maybe, you know, it was 10, 12, somewhere in there, that there was a customer that said it was forbidden to say Legionella in her building. And she said, if you had to use that language, you would call it the L word. And she just did not want to hear about it. And the fact that some of her test results would have, you know, like 10 colony forming units. I mean, that was just the most horrific thing ever to her. And all her water treatment was failing and people weren't doing their job. And of course, we know that we treat water to make it efficient in the equipment. To, so we're not eradicating, you know, all species that would ever live in that water. That's not what we do in a typical water treatment program. If we add some sort of water management program to that, then we're still not going to be able to complete that. But now we're monitoring how well the program's doing against specifically Legionella throughout different seasons and different areas of that system. So with that, she just, she just didn't want to listen to it. And it was very, very difficult to have any conversations. We ultimately decided it was better for us to part ways. There was another company that said that I guess they could get zero Legionella. And I, of course, we know that that's not true, but that's what she wanted to hear. And that's what the company told her. Yeah, so people, uh, they get what they pay for, right? <laughs> no, that's true. I, and I can't imagine what a service like that would cost because you'd have to use some sort of magic water treatment juice in order to do that. <laughs> and I don't know where you buy the magic water treatment juice, but I bet it's pricey. I'm certain someone's coming up with a gadget. You know, the, a new gadget comes up every so often for that. You know, I wish they would. I, I, how awesome would it be if you didn't have to restock product do all these tests and you could just slap something on and like the Ronco food dehydrator, you set it and forget it. And all you have to do is just make sure the customer is happy. Wouldn't that be water treatment nirvana? 
That would be. And of course, it's always the same temperature every day. It never rains. <laughs> you know, equipment, the tower fill float never falls off, you know. So um, we're still straying away from AWT training, but we're talking about yeah. every topic around that. Sure. So um, you've been how many times? I think this was like my fifth or sixth time. I've done every course and I've done water treatment training twice. Would you go back? Absolutely. So even after seeing all of that, seeing every course, there's still more to learn from that venue. Absolutely. And you get to connect with other water treaters that are doing the same thing. They, they want to get better to increase their knowledge. And um, we all experience different things in water treatment. So getting out of like your normal whirlwind and stepping into someone else's and understanding what they're doing because people do different industries like some people do pulp and paper we don't but uh, i'm always curious to learn about new industries and the challenges other people have so a lot of idea sharing yeah and when are you ever in a room where everybody there knows exactly what it is that you do and you don't have to explain what it is that you do that awkward elevator pitch that we all work on that almost anyone that doesn't know water treatment just doesn't get it the elevator pitch is something that I have people work on in the sales class that I teach. Mm -hmm. And I think people forget the most important part of the elevator pitch. It's not how techniqued it is, if that's even a word. It's not how smooth it is. It's at the end of it. And it's called an elevator pitch because you're telling somebody what you do between the time it takes to go from one floor to another. So you only have that amount of time and then they're going to step off the elevator. But the whole goal to the elevator pitch is for somebody after you complete it, they say, I want to know more. Tell me more. So do you have an elevator pitch? I don't. I would fumble through it right now, Trace. Like I ran into a guy randomly in Oklahoma in front of a hotel and he asked me what I was doing and I fumbled through it. And he's like, that's terrible. I was like, that's the best <laughs> feedback I ever had because he actually gave me really good feedback by just telling me how bad it was. So it's a constant you know, iteration, we'll say. Do you remember the movie Boiler Room? Yeah. And, and the guy's eating cereal and the guy, the telemarketer calls to try to sell him the paper and he gives him instant feedback. Okay, that's the worst sales call <laughs> I have ever received. I love that scene. There's a lot to be said when it goes to role-playing, and I'm always shocked when I ask people, because let's face it, whether you're a technician or you're in sales, wh whatever you do, you are in a sales role. If you are talking with people, if you work for a company, any company, you are in a sales role, whether, whether you realize it or not. And if people don't practice how they communicate what it is that they do, and especially what they want others to do about it, how are you ever going to get good at that? Exactly. How awesome is it that that guy on the elevator actually gave you feedback? Because most people would just walk away. Yeah, or just kind of nod their head and move on. I'm going to get on another soapbox here, but I think that there is something missing today where if somebody gives us constructive feedback, a lot of people are very quick to get offended. Instead of thinking, oh, wow, I never get this kind of feedback. This person is giving me a gift. Let me not get offended. Let me turn that off. Let me lean into this and let me learn something. Yeah. We ended up talking for like the next half hour, 45 minutes. Like we, we struck up a relationship uh, just talking about it. And he gave me his. And 
I was like, wow, that was a really good pitch. So yeah, I, I agree totally. Lean into that. Like when you feel stress, it's okay. That's a natural feeling. Feelings are natural, but being able to lean in, ask a question beyond that, I think is really valuable. There's something to the fact that uh, we can get all of our news in 144 characters or less, and everything is a soundbite. And if we don't get the soundbite that we are wanting, we are very quick to say, no brain, turn off, get offended. And I hope that that people can stop that and just think, oh, wow, this is, this is valuable information. I'm actually getting some feedback here. Absolutely. So speaking of feedback, uh, you are in the Rising Tide Mastermind. We already talked a little bit about that. And we have a specific way that we process issues just to make sure that we're seeing things properly and the person can take in that information. Can we talk a little bit about that? Sure. So uh, well, I tell you what, why don't you tell the Scaling Up Nation a little bit about that process and what that's done for you? So every week, most every week when we're not talking about a book, we'll, um, somebody will be designated to be what we call in the middle. So, and it's not just uh, everyone circle around this person with a rifle getting ready to execute them, you know, uh, but it's really just kind of surrounding that person. And they'll uh, hopefully be vulnerable to bring up an issue that they're dealing with. Sometimes it's professional, sometimes it's personal. And uh, they'll kind of state the issue as best they can. And then we spend the first, you know, it could be up to half an hour just asking clarifying questions. So you're not allowed to give advice or give your perspective on it and judge that person. You're really trying to get to understand the issue. And maybe you heard differently than what they're saying and, you have to sort of clear that up and make sure that you're understanding what the true issue is. And then uh, after that period, then uh, then we go into, uh, so that person is usually talking and giving answers to these questions. And then uh, after that, everyone's kind of formulating a section for advice and go around the room and everyone kind of gives their take on what that person should do next. And then we'll take account, uh, accountability for that. We'll write it down of what they're going to do next. And then we, we check in on that every week and see if they're making progress to it uh, towards that goal. It's been a great experience for me. I know I've had professional issues, personal issues, and it's helped me tremendously. When I first started the Rising Tide Mastermind, I thought it was going to be more technical issues, but it has been definitely in every single group. And we have six groups now. I think we have 62, 64 members, somewhere around there. And it, it's a whole array of issues. I mean, yeah, we talk about some technical stuff, but people use it as their personal board of directors. And I know I've used it quite a bit. Uh, I went 25 years without any kids. And my wife and I we're fine with that. And then all of a sudden we decided to adopt a 16 year old and wow, what a change in our home life. And if I didn't have the mastermind group to get advice and, Hey, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? I don't think I'd be where I am right now. Oh, absolutely. You would probably be in your red weaknesses, just like me and yelling, screaming, going, you know, <laughs> getting upset with, uh, with your son and, uh, versus actually getting to the root issue. I, I'm a firm believer that uh, I think everybody deserves a coach and not necessarily your boss. Like you need some sort of outlet to vent or 
to get guidance, somebody that's not going to judge you, allow you to be vulnerable, to give you that space to kind of work through the stuff you got going on. Everyone's got issues. You know, if somebody says they don't have any issues, they're probably lying to you. So, or themselves. Yeah. Or themselves. Maybe they, they have issues they don't know. So um, it's creating a safe space to get that coaching and practice that. It's a muscle. The course of how we process issues that you just took us through. So many times when somebody says, this is my issue, we jump straight to a conclusion. And the formula that you just laid out does not allow for that. And we have to ask clarifying questions. We are not allowed to give advice. And that's what the facilitator's job is. If somebody starts to give advice, no, no, that's not this part. This is Darius's issue. And you're supposed to ask questions to Darius so you can see his issue through his lens. And I know that works. However, I didn't realize how much it worked until we were at a live event for the mastermind. And every year we all get together here in Atlanta for a live event. And there was a spouse that came up to me of a mastermind member and thanked me for that because now their spouse listens better. And they've learned that it's not about just fixing whatever the issue is. It's about understanding the why behind the issue, the way the other person is experiencing the issue And since then, I've also connected with some other spouses at the Association of Water Technologies Conference that have said the exact same thing. So it's it's making us better husbands, better wives. It's allowing us to understand our partners a lot better, understand our kids a lot better. When we understand why somebody's doing that or or even have the, the care to try to understand it really changes how that person is experiencing their issue for themselves. Absolutely. I know early on, I'm a very task-oriented person, so I'm trying to check off as many things I can off my list. And the old me, if somebody presented an issue to to me, I would immediately rattle through my brain, figure out what the solution is, give it to them and get them out the door within like 30 seconds to a minute. You know? Yeah. Hey, that was efficient. All right. That was efficient. Awesome. But they have, I've learned that they have completely experienced something different and slowing down and actually getting that perspective still give, maybe give that same solution. But so they have a different experience. I still fall in that trap. It's occasionally, but it's, it's something I work on uh, regularly and it doesn't come naturally because I like to give people solutions versus try to understand what's really going on. Stephen Covey said that you are efficient with things. You have to be effective with people. And I think that's how we're effective. We need to not just say, all right, I checked the box. I gave them a solution. No, I listened with the intent to understand. And that person gave me the stamp of approval that I did understand them. Correct. Yeah. The methodology I think that Chris Voss describes is called tactical empathy, understanding a person from their point of view, not necessarily yours. Well, part two of that issue solving track that you described is receiving advice. And uh, the part, I'm not sure if you said this or not, but whoever has the issue when they are receiving advice, they are not allowed to speak. And that's difficult for a lot. 
So let me ask, the fact that you are not allowed to speak when you are receiving advice, what does that do for you? Well, when I was first starting out in the first couple, it would be really hard, almost painful to not interject and sort of volley back the grenade, you know? That was like my my MO. I'm like, somebody's going to throw a grenade at me, I'm going to throw it back as quick as possible. So you just have to employ the same listening skills and just be quiet, take it all in, absorb it, and then process. So it's about slowing your own mind down at that point. But that's a that's a great way to do that. You have to force the person not to talk. And I imagine it's awkward for most people because they want to kind of go right into defense mode. Probably early on in our group, that was probably the case. But now I think we're in a rhythm where people absorb that and have a chance to process it before they kind of talk about the next steps they're going to take. So I would say that's growth. As the facilitator, the interesting thing is, is in the very beginning, you know, nobody knows that format. So I'm the only one that's enforcing that. And now that everybody knows it, I don't have to enforce that because everybody else is enforcing that. But there's so much power to the fact that, okay, I can just sit back. I do not have to worry about defending myself. And when you're not worrying about what you're going to say to defend yourself, you're actually opening up your ears so you can take that in. And it just changes the entire process. So to get back to our original comment where somebody gave you a critique on the elevator, if you didn't give them the opportunity to say what they had to say, and you were defending why you already said what you said, you wouldn't have gotten any of that feedback. Most people would probably just say the same thing over again, but just louder (laughs) and more fervently. And that's like, people are stubborn like that. So you just, you didn't hear me. So I'm just going to yell it louder so you can hear me. So So I do not speak French, not at all. And we went over to Spain and we had a layover uh, in, in France and they had shifted the gate And this lady came and she informed us what they were doing in French. And we're, of course, four of us were just staring at her. We had no idea what she was saying. She sounded great as she was saying it. I had no clue what the words were. So she did exactly what she said. She started getting louder and said the exact (laughs) same thing over again. And then she got even louder. It did not change the fact that I do not speak French. (laughs) That's a great example of that. (laughs) So, and that kind of, kind of goes into something else that you mentioned, you mentioned the temperaments Mm -hmm. and that's one of the tools that we use in the rising tide mastermind. And Kathleen Edelman has been on this show three times. She is one of my heroes. She has taught me more about every relationship in my life than anybody else on this planet. And she's done that by teaching me to understand myself better. And you said that you are a fellow red, a choleric. And Mm -hmm. we respond with tone and volume when we're not getting what we need. And there are other temperaments that shut down when people give them tone and volume. So just understanding that, you know, if I'm screaming at somebody because they don't understand French, it's not, it's not going to make them understand French. And with a certain temperament, it's actually going to make them respond in the opposite manner than what we're hoping that they would do. 
So you've really embodied the temperament. You've introduced it to your team. Uh, you've introduced it to your family. There are several episodes that we can, uh, we can go back and listen to with the temperaments, but can you tell us what your personal dealings with the temperaments have been, what they've done for you, and then maybe do you recommend other people start using them? Yeah, I mean, it's I've taken numerous personality tests over over my life, and you know everything from Myers Briggs to Clifton Strengths Finder. And Clifton Strengths Finder, I think, was one of the best for me until this came around. And what I found was the temperaments it simplifies it and actually kind of overlays on the Strengths Finder, and you can see. And it boils everything down to like the four colors and just the way Kathleen presents it, it's actually very usable information. I still use it today. A lot of our people still use it. And I'm constantly keeping that in the back of my head, like going into a conversation. If I know that person's temperament, I have to make sure that they're ready to receive the information in the way they want it. And and if I'm not getting the information in the way I want to receive it, then it's my job to to tell them that. And so... Where it's been the most impactful is probably me and my son. We got the workbook for children. And you can, like you said before, you can replace the children and use it on adults too. It's kind of like interchangeable. So uh, like you said, I'm a fellow choleric. And we found out that he is a high yellow temperament. And I would give him like several tasks to do because that's how I want it, right? I can do like 20 tasks at once. He struggled. And when he wouldn't do it, I would just yell, get louder, and get frustrated. And once we kind of dove into the temperaments and found out he's kind of yellow, that slowed me down a little bit to say, like, I can't give him like 10 tasks to do. But if I give him like one, maybe two tasks, then it was a completely different story. And he was actually able to do them. And so it's just, he's just not able to process that. And we're had a much better relationship and less stressful, you know, because he would shut down when I would get loud, you know, like most would. Um, so that's been really helpful for me. I really bond well with my daughter, though, because she's a, I'm pretty sure she's a red. I, I'll give her those same like 10 tasks and she'll do them. <laughs> so she's, she's quite easy for me to deal with. But knowing what somebody's temperament has been really helpful, just learning someone's communication style and getting through to the pathways that they're going to receive the information best. Yeah, I was going to give you some advice because I've been a father for 10 months now and I know everything. So I, I, I my son's also a yellow, a very bright yellow. Yeah. And what I have found, because I too, oh, give me a task list and fill it up because I love checking those boxes off and he does not like tasks. He's more people driven. So if I ask him to take the trash out, sweep the floor, wipe the kitchen counters, all of that stuff, that gets lost on him. But if I talk about how, wouldn't it be awesome when your mom comes home and all these things are done and she just feels so appreciated. And then he now gets excited over the people aspect and the tasks just become a part of that he's really able to focus on getting that done because he's more people-focused than task-focused. And that's been a real game-changer with how I communicate with him. That is uh, that is great advice, and it's probably the next iteration I'm going to have to try <laughs> is instead of kind of boiling it down to more simple tasks, we kind of shift it to what it's going to make him feel or others feel about him. 
And then as, as you and I speak the language of power and control, the yellow would speak the language of people and fun. Mm-hmm. So if you use the language of people and fun, I know it's not our innate language and we've got to shift into that, but if we talk about the tasks that have to be done in that language, it changes everything. I would say it's also good to have a blend of people and not just like create a team of all reds or mm-hmm. all blues, all yellows or all greens, because I think you miss out on that different perspective too. So. I would probably never try to build a team that's completely comprised of reds because we're going to be all task oriented. We're going to get the job done, but we're going to probably miss out on actually having fun. That's a great point. You know, that also brings up another book that we read in the Rising Tide Mastermind, The Six Types of Working Genius. But Darius, what I'd like to do is bring you back next week. We can pick up our conversation there and we still have a ton of things that we haven't talked about yet. So can you join us next week? I would look forward to it. Awesome. Scaled Up Nation, if you cannot tell, Darius Barkowskis is just an amazing individual and we've got a lot to talk about. And Darius is going to come back next week So we can conclude our interview with Darius. So hopefully you can wait one more week for that conclusion. In the meantime, while you're waiting, it's my hope that you do go to our events page and you start planning out some things that you want to do coming up in the next few months. I gave that challenge earlier this year and several people took me up on that. And I am amazed with the amount of information that people have brought back from these conferences. And very selfishly, some of them have even given me people that they want me to interview. So by all means, if you're at one of these conferences and you just see a fantastic presenter and you think you want to get them shared with the rest of the Scaling Up Nation, let me know who this person is. We'll reach out to them and see if we can get them scheduled on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Nation, I love bringing this show to you. I love even more that you enjoy listening to it, and we will have a brand new episode next week. Until then, have a great week, folks. Scaling Nation, you asked for it and it is here. So many of you are taking the Certified Water Technologist examination and you're wanting to get better information on how to better answer the mock exam. Now this is the exam that you get when you sign up for the CWT exam. Well, I have heard your request and I've done exactly that. I have recorded a class that has exactly what you've been asking for. It is me answering each one of the questions and letting you know why I chose certain answers. And of course, everybody wants me to do math and I do all the math on the mock exam. So you can see how to get the right answer. And I hope this is something that will help build your confidence so you can get your certification. You can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep. Once again, that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep. Get out there and get your certification today.